1: Never, ever give up hope. This is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up, no matter what. And what I have discovered, which most of you already know, is that everybody has a story. Many of my guests have survived incredible circumstances. And what I've noticed is as a result of that, they have a passion to help others. I would say 99.9% of my guests who have gone through something that has been extreme trauma in one way or another, they want to help others who have either gone through that or maybe going through something similar. Some have survived extreme poverty. Some have uh... survived extreme abuse some of them had to overcome serious depression or disease and many of them also have had to literally fight to survive this show never ever give up hope gives them that opportunity to share their stories and it also gives us encouragement and even if it's not something that you might be um, relate to on the same level you will relate to it in that the message of survival overcoming, thriving, soaring above, all those messages are messages of encouragement. And that's what we get from each and every one of my guests. We're now heard in over 140 countries, and we still maintain the number one rank and Google searches for the subject of hope. No matter where you live in this world, anywhere on the face of this globe, there are people who need the message of hope, and that is what we are giving them. So I thank you for listening today. I thank you for not only my guests, but of course, my listeners. Because without you guys, we wouldn't have a show. So thank you so much. With me today, this is a very special lady. And I can't possibly begin to relate on the level that some of my listeners will today. She still has a message to show what the human spirit can survive, overcome, and then use to help others and that's exactly what my guest Patricia Eagle is going to share with us today. She is an author. The name of her book is Being Mean, a memoir of sexual abuse and survival. This is not like any other memoir. This is not like any other survival story and as a result of what Patricia had experienced, she has been able to be a voice For others to step out and be helped from childhood sexual abuse. So welcome, Patricia. Thank you. Very glad to be here. Oh, so glad to have you as well. Like I said, I know your story is going to be a real help for many people. Now, I believe that there are a lot more stories and I'm, sh- I'm quite sure you will agree with me, that there is a lot more stories out there of children who have suffered silently, both at the time of the abuse and also for a lifetime afterward. And what I like about your story is that you share both. How this not only affected you as a child, but how it affected you as an adult and what you can do to use that to help others to overcome those that trauma that they endured. So this is one of the things that I want to discuss today but before we do that tell us your story Patricia.
2: Okay well thank you for having me Carol. You mentioned earlier that everybody has a story and that is so true and my story is just one story out of many about sexual abuse and I don't feel like it's one of the more harrowing stories, but that may be because I lived it and I became used to it,
1: Mm.
2: Um, and that is one thing that I've learned in therapy is not to minimalize what happened to me, um, and it's something that, that I work with so that I can really allow my story and my voice to come out fully and not be held back as I did, shutting down and shutting out for so many decades. I'm going to go back to the title of my book, Being Mean, because sometimes people think my story is about bullying, and uh, it's not about bullying. Well, maybe in a way it is. Being mean was a euphemism. That is what my mother Called masturbation. Really? And masturbation is what my father and I did together from my age of four until I was 13. My mother, I believe, was complicit in that she recognized what was going on and hence her accusing my dad of being mean to me, which I heard her do and then her calling the act of masturbation being mean in my little toe-headed brain it began to make sense that this is what it was I didn't recognize it as something that was wrong or even something of someone being mean to me that it was a mean act because Truthfully, it felt good. As a child, it, I experienced pleasure. And that's not unusual for some sexual abuse survivors. So I've learned um, as I've researched and talked to more people about sexual abuse because I would like to understand it better, particularly now as I'm talking to more and more people about sexual abuse. Because I'm not an expert, I really, I'm an ec- expert on my own story, but not on the, unfortunately, thousands of stories out there of people that have been sexually abused. But the consequences of what my father and I did together and my mother's complicity then led to extreme difficulty for me to be able to make supportive decisions in my life as I grew up Uh, I had a great difficulty with trust I ended up being an over sexualized risk taker who put her life in danger many times um, who also suffered from a great deal of depression and and uh, suicide ideation and and just wondered how could I trust others and how in the world could I trust myself because I just difficulty knowing what was right or what was not good or what was wrong and it uh, became a, a lifelong journey for me to come into a place of Letting go the go of the the baggage of shame, which was pretty darn heavy uh, as I grew older and and uh, coming to recognize my own value and to realize that having courage meant being vulnerable enough to speak out about my my life and reveal my secrets and <laughs> My book <laughs> reveals all my secrets. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm living my life inside out now. You know, I feel naked in, in one respect. Of
1: course, yes.
2: Um, because I, I tell it all. And I tell it all primarily for my own recovery. And then secondarily, to encourage others to to speak up and to know that recovery is much more Likely, I say we can't change what we refuse to talk about, so I encourage others to to, to talk to preferably a counselor or a therapist, but to to speak up, not hold those secrets in. They are truly debilitating, as my book shows uh, they were for me. There's can't, a glimpse
1: can't change what others talk about
2: well. We can't change what we refuse to talk about. If we don't talk about what's happened in our lives that has been damaging, whether you're talking to a, a therapist, a counselor, for some people it might be a pastor. I really encourage people to talk to a therapist or counselor, people with training specifically mm-hmm. in emotional health, mental health. But if if we hold that in, it just festers it festers and it affects all aspects of our life lives particularly our intimate relationships or our primary relationships as many people want to have whether it be through marriage or just beloved partner whatever you want to call that person it helps for us to learn to talk about our secrets right or, or what's bothering us. Mm-hmm. Just, it helps for us to learn how to have open and honest conversations. And it took me a long time, Carol, to do that.
1: I can only, I, no, I can't imagine. Now, you said something that I thought was interesting. You said that understanding right from wrong is an issue for victims or survivors of child abuse. I thought that was a really good point because as a young child, my guess is, were you confused as, is this right? Is this wrong? And if so, at what point did you realize that this was not right?
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, a child A child doesn't have those skills to know that what someone is doing with them or grooming them to do. A child doesn't know. They can't be blamed. And I actually consider child to go on up through the teen years, particularly when um, young teens are Well, – I'm just going to go all the way toward the end of our teens – um, can be groomed and, and taken advantage of too. And how do we learn? That's a that's a really big question. I can really only speak for me. I, right. I, I do in my book, I have resources for for um, organizations that are working with survivors of child sexual abuse and sexual harassment in general. And I think they give wonderful guidance that wasn't available when when I was growing up right. but I wouldn't I wouldn't have chosen it anyway I like many children I approached my mother one time and mm. I I was slapped and punished and felt that I deserved that punishment I felt that uh, it was my fault is what I believed and and many children do feel that way and I couldn't understand what helped me to understand was I started having friends and I loved having friends and going to other people's homes and I was I somehow became uh, discriminating in which friends I picked and what that means is I I wanted to have friends that their homes felt good yeah. we didn't we didn't have anyone in our home. Uh, people didn't come to our homes. So, our home, it was kept secret, even uh, relatives. But I chose in particular one good friend, and her parents were one of the. Biggest chal- ch- uh, gifts in my life because they had a happy marriage and they had friends and they communicated with one another and I even heard them argue and how they resolved arguments. They didn't throw things or injure one another and I saw how they communicated with their child and I didn't, I didn't experience any of that in my home, so I saw something that was possible, and that was, oh, it was a thousand Christmas gifts. It was huge.
1: There must have been a point where you had to deal with anger. Did that come, and if so, were you young, or was it later?
2: No, I didn't really deal, well, the way... I internalized anger early on through um, being underweight and and uh, having stomach aches and anxiety and constant okay. nosebleeds okay. and things like that. But when I and as I, I think it was in my twenties. No, I I ex, I would release anger in my primary relationships and only at a point when I was really comfortable with the. The person, and in my case, it was with uh, my first husband and my second husband, and the anger was debilitating really? for me and for them, and I. It also went to the point of where I wanted to uh, die, um, and so some attempts at at uh, suicide, not by hanging myself or overdose, but taking. Risks that were very dangerous mm. uh, to myself and um, never endangering others. Well, it was at one point by walking uh, out into traffic, so that endangered others. But I, yes, my anger was out of control when I trusted someone enough to sh- lose control of, of my, my feelings. And uh, it, it, I would say, it involved punching walls and mm-hmm. and punching punching my one of
1: my husbands. Yes. At what point did you realize that you needed help in this area?
2: I began seeking help uh, in my late twenties. Um, I I realized that I I needed to talk to someone else and get some guidance on this, and started my search for uh, a counselor and and. Um, would find a good one here and there, not, not certainly not every one of them. And then I began searching for some kind of help through medication. Uh, and this was in the early 80s, and some of those had pretty powerful punches. And um, I, they would help for a while, but mm-hmm. then I was on such a roller coaster, I'd quit that counselor and medication and try another one. I also tried self-help seminars and um, did find some help in each of those, but nothing was enough. This was before I also suppressed my memories for survival, Carol, which is not unusual because it's hard to, Uh to make it through with those things popping up and hanging out in one's head. You know, I've heard it said just recently by Wings Foundation that works with sexual abuse survivors that when memories surface it's as traumatic if not more traumatic than when the abuse initially occurred. So when my abuse did, my abuse memories did surface, I again began the search for therapists, therapist and as a person with privilege, which meant that I had a job which had health insurance, I was able to get some therapy and I'm grateful for that. I wish that for everyone and I also was very lucky to have found uh, several therapists that were extremely helpful and good in my life. I'm very grateful for that.
1: In, in your therapy, did you have to deal with forgiveness?
2: What did work for me was forgiving myself mm self-forgiveness. And what worked for me in dealing with my parents was developing compassion. That allowed me to be open to their own stories and plights and to come to understand it more in a way that my heart could recognize their strife and their confusion and Feel something for them. So compassion, I developed a compassion muscle. And I also developed self-compassion. Self-forgiveness wasn't enough, but self-compassion over and over, it's something when I feel that I'm sabotaging something in my life or being hard on myself, which I have had it pointed out to me often by therapists. Then I go back to the self-compassion. That, Carol, is what has worked for me beautifully.
1: Now, do you deal with these issues in your book, or is it strictly your story?
2: This is part of my story, developing self-forgiveness, developing the compassion for my parents. In my book, my husband and I decided at a time where my parents needed help in their elder years to go and live with them. And I could not have done that without working on compassion for them Mm. and my own self-forgiveness and self-compassion. And by the way, one of the reasons I chose to do that other than it was felt necessary was that I wanted to write a book about my life and I felt like that putting myself right there at ground zero would be really fertile ground and it was and I began writing my book in that environment.
1: Interesting. Now one of the things that you said is that childhood sexual abuse survivors are at a greater risk of PTSD depression, and other mental health issues. How did your experiences with this affect your life?
2: Hugely. (laughs) All of those, yeah. PTSD is is not uncommon, nor nor depression, nor anxiety, nor suicide attempts. One of the main things that I also suffered from was um, intense migraines for 20 years, which required... Um, frequent trips to the emergency room and um, it's it's pushing down memories whether you push them down or not to survive holding those experiences in in order to navigate life and work and do the laundry and get groceries and clean your house and maybe raise children and and be in relationships it, it it's impossible to do without pushing memories aside, aside or down and they start bubbling up and they bubble up through flashbacks PTSD i could have Things come up with the smell of dial soap, for example, right. pulling back of a shower curtain and mm-hmm. the sound that makes, or, and depression was was debilitating in my life. And uh, then, again, for me, they manif- the biggest manifestation of uh, mental health issues and this experience was through migraines, which were so horrible and all the medications and doctors visits that i took went to to try to figure out what was wrong not unusual at all i've never met a survivor who didn't suffer from multiple multiple characteristics or experiences of of physical mental or emotional problems
1: so to cope through these experiences, you use disassociation. That was one of the things, correct?
2: It is, and um, and that's setting them aside. Or, or as a child, it was just being able to be with my stuffed animals that lined my room, or um, to to step out on a camping trip with my dad and just. Be in the water, the ocean, and be in the waves. I could, I learned to dissociate quite well. Um, as an adult, I learned things to help me cope that were much more healthy. Uh, okay. dis, dissociation helped me to survive. Okay. But they, it did not help me to thrive. As I became an adult, after my memories came up, I learned purposely I developed tools that would help me become stronger and thrive
1: now was there at any point a time when you wanted to talk to someone in authority
2: no I one time I wanted to talk to a teacher when I was uh, 15 but I liked her so much and uh, I wanted her to like me so much and I, I didn't know I didn't have a clue how to broach Mm. a conversation about what was going on. Um, Not a clue. No. No, unfortunately. There are these organizations that I mentioned previously, which are RAIN or Stop It Now. Uh, RAIN is rape, incest, and I can't remember what it's an acronym for but they they tell people they have people that go out and work with schools and young people and give them ideas on and guidance on how they can talk to others but i i'll tell you it's still a challenge because children we're told to not talk and to keep our secrets and we're threatened right. and it's children listen to that and and they they're, they know what their family life is like, and they don't know what would happen if they didn't have that family life, and they're very afraid. I'm just going to Fra- say
1: fear has got to be a huge factor, right?
2: Absolutely fear, fear, and, and particularly if, if you're also physically abused, yes. which I, I was not, other than through the sexual abuse.
1: What do you think we can do to erase the stigmas that are attached about discussing these issues? Because I think no matter how uh, developed we are becoming in discussing these kind of issues, there's still problems that people will hold back, correct?
2: It is tricky, uh, even for adults, and tricky in a different way than for the children. And I just explained why it's tricky for right, children, right. because they become become insecure about what will happen to their family or their home environment, and then there's the fear if they're taken away from their home environment, they end up being put back into their home environment later, and they're punished for that. Hmm. But as an adult, I think what's really tricky, Carol, is I personally believe that our entire culture is complicit. We live in a culture of rape, which basically it's it's allowed we see on multiple levels that people can speak up about being sexually abused or even sexually abused as a child or as an adult, and they're not believed or they're belittled. Right. Look at the men that were interviewed never leaving Neverland that were abused by Michael Jackson, and they received death mm. threats. So we, we have a culture presently, uh, a culture of rape that has systems that allow men for the most part to commit crimes with impunity they're they're not punished so it's it's very difficult for people to have the courage
1: how do you think we can protect children from child abuse i know there's no easy pat answer but are there signs that we can watch out for and whether we are a friend of the family or um you know someone in authority or I'm not really sure what can be done, if anything.
2: You know, I was thinking about that this morning, and I was thinking about it along these lines because I'm frequently asked, how can we stop this pervasive pattern in our culture, which, by the way, is one in four girls and one in six boys, and that's what's disclosed. So if you think about that, then consider how many perpetrators are out there. So what can we do? I want there to be help for the perpetrators. How can we help men and the small number of women who are perpetrators to understand the extensive damage that they're causing? How can we get them to realize that they're abusing the trust of these children, whether they're priests or an Olympic doctor or Parents or pastor or whoever they are, I mean we we hear about this every week. people that have the trust of the perpetrator that even often the child likes someone that the, it's usually someone that the child knows mm-hmm. and trusts. How can we get these people to understand the damage that they're doing? I'm not sure. I wonder, I'm not an expert, but I'm someone that cares. I care so deeply about this. How can we get them to realize that perhaps they have uh, sexual addiction issues or they have intimacy issues or anger issues? Would it help if in our culture encouraged people to get mental health treatment and didn't shame people for getting help or seeking it out. But if a perpetrator seeks help, then they're self-identifying and there's ramifications there. How can they get this necessary help? I don't know, but I feel like that there's more we can do for the perpetrators, not Condone their their actions, which were presently seen in our culture, We do condone them. We look beyond it. We too often we hear it said, Well, it wasn't that bad, and she probably asked for it in some yeah. way, and oh, you can't believe a child. What does a child know? They don't They don't really have it down. They're making it up. Or if it's a younger person, you know, and I heard this in in my 20s, can't you just let it go and move on?
1: Yes, definitely. I've heard that a lot. Absolutely. What's your response to that?
2: I tried. I've tried letting it go Mm -hmm. and moving it on, and I'll go back to the festering part. It usually doesn't work. When we shut up, we shut down, and when we shut down, we shut down to living life fully, And when we shut down to living life fully, then joy gets out of reach. And I'll tell you, I don't want people to have to wait until their 60s, Mm. as I've done, to feel joy. It's too good of a thing. Weight is too heavy. It's too heavy of a burden.
1: So tell us a little more about your book.
2: What I have, what may be a little different in my book, is I tell... It's not a, a chronological story of my my life. This happened, and this, and then this. What I do is I have 67 stories, which I love because I'm 67 years old. <laughs> and, and I didn't know that until this birthday. And I went back to count how many stories I had. And I went, oh, how wonderful. That, I love synchronicity so there's 67 stories that i did not write in chronological order i wrote them um because i was working with a writing coach and he encouraged me to to think of the most momentous times in my life and most difficult most challenging most exhilarating times of my life and i wrote these stories and once i had i had many more than 67 written I had thought that I was going to categorize them in themes of sex and learning to trust and then, oddly, birds, because I'm a bird watcher. <laughs> and my father and I watched birds together, and uh, he taught me to be aware of nature. And I thought, well, I'm going to categorize them in, in the that order, but it didn't work. And then I put them in chronological order, even though they weren't written that way, and realized that that is what worked. There's not a story for every year. Some years have multiple stories, and many years are skipped. But the stories that I selected were most often the stories, let's, my writing coach used to say, how would that story sound if you weren't trying to make yourself look good? So they were the stories that I felt like I really was, authentically vulnerable, really re- revealing authentic vulnerability, because that's where my truth would lay. Only about a quarter of my book is about sexual abuse. It's impactful, it's important, and I do reveal details, because without revealing the details, I believe people do, do not realize how detrimental sexual abuse is, especially to a child. But then it's about the consequences of that sexual abuse on my life and how I lived in search for meaning and in search for truth and understanding uh, and trying to to find what would, would help me understand that that weight and that shame and that willingness to risk my life over and over again, which I did. And it comes up my, my desire to to find that meaning and to survive. That is what I, I hear from many readers now that they're experiencing uh, as they read my my book. And I think that that ability to thrive, not just to, to survive, but to thrive begins to come out. And my ability to, to live healthily and, and with love and with healthy sexuality as well, and my ability to, to experience open and honest conversations with people in life particularly with my spouse, that is where my book goes. And even to experience those conversations more with my parents at the ends of their lives.
1: So with the 67 stories, are they all during the time period of that age of 4 to 13? Are they over a course of your life? Are they... Uh, detailed stories and then what you learned from that experience like maybe share one of them with us
2: okay it's over the course of my life okay and uh so really i i started age four and i end at age 65 okay and um the stories i i actually i start at the in um 2017 january of 2017 when I went to a monastery that I like to go to, to be in silence, and I picked up my book again, which I'd put down for six years, mm. and I I did a significant amount of work there and got the got the train moving and finished it by August, had the manuscript off to a publisher. I start with that, and then I go to age four, and then I complete the book at age 67, and each of these stories are stand-alone stories. Okay. They're Vignettes from times in my life. Some of them again have multi years. Will have multiple stories, and other other times uh, we skip many years. It was released in June of this year. Okay, and um, I am hearing from people both at the readings that I'm doing, which. On my website, there's a calendar, which I need to update, but it, it has where I'll be do re- doing readings right now in New Mexico and Texas and also California. Um, I've just finished doing readings here in, Co- in Colorado, where I live. I like to hear from people. Uh, I love to get reviews, um, but I like to hear from people and and how the book has impacted them.
1: Yes, then you know that all... it. All the work, all the pain, all the time was worth everything.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I just found a little piece that is three paragraphs. Would you like me to read it? Sure. This is toward the end of my book in the epilogue. Coming into my 65th year, I question what carries my life story forward. Why am I unable to let my history be? Why not keep my sexual abuse memories to myself and let bygones be bygones? Why would I chance be smearing the memory of my parents with what I recall from so long ago? things that my mother adamantly denied. As the fog rolled in during my teens, twenties, and thirties, I could no longer see what had happened to me as a child, nor where I was going as an adult. But that did not stop me or slow me down. I forged ahead, periodically believing that somehow, someday, I might see through the obscurity and, with determination, figure things out. And the shame I have felt about my life, I'm not sure what impacted me most, the shame I gradually began to feel from sexual abuse as a young girl, or the shame I felt from decisions I made as a maturing young woman. As I grew older, my feelings were frequently out of control, whirlwinds of emotion that left those around me dizzy and confused from my intense and manic swirls of energy. My life was helter-skelter. I lurched forward, teetering on precipices and daring myself to fall off. An abundance of careless living and a reckless, frantic energy kept me on the move. Like author and therapist Francis Weller says, everything that is happening above ground is because of what's happening below in the shadows. A tsunami was building, rolling along and grumbling deep, deep in the ocean of my life. There was no way I could have fathomed how such confusion about love and sex and intimacy and boundaries would place my life at risk over and over again.
1: That is a perfect way to end our discussion today. I was going to ask you to say something in summary and you just did it. So well, Thank, I thank you. you. That was perfect and Emotion and feeling and the intensity of it. I loved it.
2: I do want to thank your listeners. I want to thank them for their courage for listening through if they do. And also to say that just their willingness to listen is doing something about this problem in our culture. And I'm deeply thankful for them for that. And I hope that they will also read the book and listen and speak up, listen to themselves and speak up about their own lives.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing with us today, Patricia. And I am confident that your book and even your story here today will definitely make an impact. Thank you for being on. Never, ever, ever give up hope. Absolutely.
0: Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one